This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 643. And the quote of the day is, the secret to mastery in any field is to forever be a student. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 643, and I got a great conversation for you. This is with Matt Starr, and we talk a lot about recording. We talk about digging into particular sounds and particular uh, mic choices and particular drummers and figuring out really how they got that sound and then how can you recreate that sound and use it for your own in your playing. But we talk about a lot more than that. We talk about touring and and playing together as a band and being present in your playing. And it's a pretty wide ranging conversation and really, uh, really eloquently done with Matt here because he he has a a great way of describing things uh, that are easily digestible and things like that. So I'm super excited that I finally got this together and got him on here. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Matt Starr. Hey, hey, Matt, what's going on, buddy? How you doing, man? Good to I'm talk well. to you. Man, I don't, I can't remember the last time I did one of these at 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday. <laughs> so, well, I've definitely never done one of these at 9.30 in the morning either. <laughs> <fair so, enough>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt, and I was thinking when I told you, I was like, hey, do you want to do it? I was thinking like, let me try to give you the rest of your day so we're not like, you know, we're not getting in the middle of your day. But then you're like, yeah, I just landed uh, last night, so... Well, it actually works out great because I have something that I forgot that I have to do in the afternoon anyway. It's like a social thing, but it's like, uh, you know, I now I have time to, plenty of time to get there and everything. So, Perfect. Yeah, no, this is great. Well, well then you're welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you. And I'm on East Coast time anyway, because that's where I was. So, it's kind of like 1230 for me anyway. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah so, so, you were uh, you were just on the road. So, talk to me a little bit about that. Who were, who were you out with and, and how long were you out? Yeah. So, I was uh, in Canada, which is my home turf like i'm from toronto mm-hmm. um originally and i was there with uh buffy saint marie who's a she's um it's hard to like distill her into one sort of word or phrase or something but she's a she's a an indigenous artist she uh she was born in canada but was raised in america mm-hmm. um by uh you know so she she was born on a reserve in canada and then and then abandoned and raised in uh in the united states and she oh wow was a big part of the folk music scene in new york in the 60s and kind of like has lived a a million different musical lives and um and i just started playing with her like in the summer um Mm -hmm. and this tour was like about it was like a uh, the actual touring part was about 10 days um and then i stayed on in canada after that to visit with family and so on but uh we did you know like a tiny desk concert and we did uh oh nice about four dates in the toronto area and ended up at massey hall which is like uh you know really it's kind of like the I, I think of it as like the canadian version of carnegie hall or something it's like the mm-hmm. big hall in toronto where you go to play or whatever um so that was kind of cool for me because i've never played there uh, even though I was born and raised in Toronto. So yeah, so that's, oh, that's, that's what cool. this tour was. Yeah, it was great. It was a really cool experience. So is she from, she's from Canada, but is she from Toronto as well? 
Well, she, she, oh, she grew up born, on a reserve, right? Yeah. On a reserve in Saskatchewan. Um, and, uh, which if you know, it, that's kind of like in the middle part of, of, uh, Canada, it's like the prairie provinces. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but then, I mean, I think she was, she's lived most of her life in the United States. Like she was gotcha. born in, she was raised in Massachusetts and then, uh, now she lives in Hawaii. So she's kind of like kind of a, a dual citizen, you know, she's I like it. part Canadian, part American. Yeah. Cool. How was, talk, talk to me about the, the tiny desk concert. How was that? Like I was, every time I watch them, I'm like, man, it seems, it seems, I think it's way more intimidating to play in front of like 13 people than it is to play in front of 13,000. Yeah, I agree with you. I, well, so the thing about this, the way they did it, um, this time or the way they're doing it at the moment is just like everything else, uh, it's changed because of COVID. So normally you would do, uh, the concert in their studio, which I forget where that is now. I'm, I, I'm embarrassed not to know that, but you would actually go there and do the, De- the Tiny Desk concert in their little facility. But because mm-hmm. of COVID, they're asking people to just do them wherever they are. So we gotcha. So we had like a lockout space um, where we kind of, you know, we, we were using it to rehearse for the tour and then also to, to stage the Tiny Desk thing. Um, and as it stands right now, she already had a film crew that was with her because uh, they're making a documentary on her life. So this crew's been following her around for months anyway. So she just was like, well, these guys can do this. Oh, and that's it perfect. was a beautiful multi-camera shoot and everything. Yeah. So, um, but what you said is a great point, like performing in front of a bunch of cameras and a, and a film crew and like a really small audience of people is, is is very intimidating because you're in a small, small space and it's like, it's just really intimate. Um, it's like, I mean, it's like, it's got to feel like you're playing a cocktail gig. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, 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 but it's being filmed. So it's like, you know, high pressure, like, you know, don't screw <laughs> yeah. up, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it, but it's, uh, but it's really inspiring in a certain way because you, you have to, you know, it's like be almost like a hybrid of being in the studio and playing live because you mm-hmm. have to be on it. And there's going to be, you know, we did two takes of four different songs just back to back. Right. And it's like, okay, well, e- any of these could get used, especially for us in the band. Like if, if it's like, well, we're going to, you know, we better be great. Because if, if she decides that she wants take two instead of take one, we better not have, you know, messed that up because she right. likes the way she sang better on take two or whatever. So yeah, it's a, it's a certain kind of pressure, but um yeah, I love that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I every, like there's some there's some of those tiny desks that I watch where someone's playing something and they're like blazing and but they're playing so quiet and it's just like, you know, nothing yeah. harder than than playing something that's like blazing fast and quiet enough to that you can play it in an office and 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 I don't I don't know what that's like I don't know what the tiny desk uh, office really looks like if it's like is it really in their office or is it like a studio that they built? I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, it, it's I funny. think it's it in looks, an office. I think you're right. Yeah, and it looks really um, like relaxed and casual in there. And like you said, you can't really blow the room out and play super loud or something like that. And right. uh, and yeah, actually, this thing we had was was sort of similar. Like it was a, a really small rehearsal stage. Um, and that had a little like studio attached to it so we could multi-track it. Um, but yeah, I, especially I had to be like super careful not to play too loud cause you know, vocal mics are right in front of me and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. I can't, you know, bash on cymbals or something like that. Uh, and her music yeah. is like, she, she 
has, like I said, she's lived so many musical lives, but her stuff now is very like drum heavy because it's, you know, it's like, there's a heavy influence of indigenous rhythms and, uh, like a lot of toms, a lot of, you know, like I use two floor toms and mm -hmm. it's just, I'm supposed to play with a lot of authority, but yeah, like you said, I have to be careful not to like, you know, uh, destroyed the rest of the audio by playing too <laughs> right. loud. So it's that right. balance, which is, which is an, again, I, I, I'm grateful for like having done that a lot, just in no, like almost no pressure situations, like, you mm -hmm. know, doing gigs in town, playing with singer songwriters and being in a club and be just having to be careful of your volume. Um, and I feel like that's something I'm pretty comfortable with and I'm grateful for all the stuff I did, you know, previous to, these kind of gigs where I didn't, where there was no pressure on me to do that. And now when there is, it's like, okay, that's kind of second nature to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Do you feel like because you're in the studio a lot or, or you're, like, I know that like I, you know, follow, following you on Instagram, like all the stuff that you're doing, you're, you're constantly in the studio and tinkering with things and playing with sounds and playing with microphones and, and all that kind of stuff. How does that translate when you get out onto the gig? I got to imagine that it makes you more in tune with how you're playing and what microphones are set up and and how you're approaching everything. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I feel like um, it's especially in terms of like you know uh, tuning um, and just having the kit sort of prepared for whatever room I'm in. You know, muffling, dampening, tuning. Uh, choice of symbols, all of that kind of stuff is so greatly influenced by by recording a lot, um, and and I think I think they both feed each other, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you you nailed it. It's like uh, just in terms of knowing how to get a big sound out of out of drums without hitting them too hard is an, is a is a huge one for me because I'm not I'm just not a guy that like bashes the drums ever i just don't it's just not in my nature uh so right. i prefer to like use stuff that gives me a lot of sound and then i can adjust myself so like if if i have to play really quiet i can do that because the stuff is sensitive but i also know that i use i like to use stuff that gives me a lot so that i, I don't have mm -hmm. to fight the drums because i'm just not, i guess maybe because i'm a small guy or something i don't know i just don't i don't hit drums that hard ever I, but I like to hit with authority. So it's that, it's that kind of finding that balance, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Well, and, and they always say like, let the mics do the work. Right. Absolutely. I mean, is that how, is that how you approach it? Like, Hey, if I need, you know, if I need more volume, just, just increase the volume. You don't have to, just, you don't have to hit. Exactly. Loud. No, exactly. And, and it's like, it's like knowing that um, if somebody out there is, you know, whoever's engineering, uh, if it's in the studio or whoever's doing live sound, if they, uh, if they know what they're doing, which is, you know, a lot of the times that's the case, then I can sort of say, okay, this is what I'm doing. And that person is a professional and they know, you know, they'll be able to kind of get what they need from me. And like you said, if the snare, if they need more snare, they just put that fader up and right. Um, the most important thing for me is to give them the actual sound of what I'm doing, uh, make that manageable for them. So, you know, like I was saying about tuning and dampening and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So that, right. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And I Absolutely. feel like if you're, if you're playing, if you're trying to do that on your own, you're trying to increase the volume or you're trying to get, you know, different sounds, uh, out of the drummer. So I think it changes the way that you play. So then, then you're sort of 
you know, you're compromising your own, your own skills and, and how you're typically going to come across on tape. Well, not on tape, but you know what I mean? Uh, you know, coming across and, and then you don't give the performance that you want because you're trying to do something that you don't normally do or, or sound a way that you don't typically sound. Oh, absolutely, man. I feel like that just falls under the category of like, you know, being in your head when you're playing. Like I don't, I generally speaking, don't want to be thinking very much at all about anything when I'm playing. I just want to be I mean, it's a, it's, you know, it's a sort of trite thing to say in a way, but it's like, uh, I just want to be as present as I can and, and thinking too much about anything like that is just gonna, I'm, I'm not going to be giving as much from, from my heart in that situation Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be, you know, thinking too much. And it, I think you can usually hear that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, Yep. And I, I, especially, I mean, I, I get caught up in this, but like if, after like the fifth and sixth and seventh take that's why like i think steve gad was saying he was like the first takes always the first one because you don't get in your head at all after you hear the fifth and sixth and seventh take and then you're then you start dissecting it and you're like okay i can do this thing and i can do this thing and then you know you get in there and you're like take eight sounds horrible and you're like why is this getting worse not better it's absolutely and 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 i don't know (laughs) if if you found this too but it's like for remote, especially for remote recording when I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is probably the same for anybody that does that kind of stuff. It's really hard not to, to like to be in that situation and doing multiple takes because you don't even have one other human being there to go. No, that that last one that you thought was was not so great. That's great. We should just. That's, that's perfect. One. Yeah. 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 Uh, you don't have any other human interaction unless, you know, you're doing like the audio movers thing or you're or you're sending a, a file to somebody to check in on what, what they think. Right. You know, but yeah, generally that I find that part of it is the hardest part about, you know, remote recording. It's like not. I haven't I, I haven't done a lot of remote recording and uh, and I don't think I, could, I don't know if I could because of that particular re- like i think that i would do sure. you know 750 takes and be like here they are <laughs> you know yeah 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 no and i'd be I like mean, they I, all sound they like they and i'd hate every one of them you know? yeah <laughs> well it i i know for me uh remote recording i mean I, now i've been doing it for i i figured this out the other day it's like i bought some gear in 2006 i think was the first time i actually bought stuff wow. it's been a while you were ahead and, of um, you were ahead of the curve on that one I kind of was, um, although I think, I mean, it was at first it was just, it was a crazy scenario for me to just hear my own practicing better. That was like my initial motivation. I remember like, gotcha. hey, let me, let me get multiple mics on the drums. I'll be able to hear stuff even better and I can geek out on my own stuff and figure out what I'm doing. Uh, and then it quickly evolved into like actually doing tracks. But um, it took me a really long time to get comfortable with the idea of like there not being somebody else there. For a ver- for mm-hmm. various things, including just the actual engineering part of it, like having to learn how to engineer for myself and 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 not let that get in the way of the music because that's a really heady thing. Engineering is a really heady thing, and playing shouldn't be, at least in my opinion. Uh, so mm-hmm. having to go in and out of those two modes is took me a really long time to be cool with that. And uh, but it, it got I got there, and that and that's uh, that's the key i think for anybody that's doing it is to you know i guess get comfortable enough with the engineering and and you know and some people need someone else there too that's the other thing they'll have like an engineer friend come over or whatever right so that can work too but you know how how would you suggest that i mean is it just a matter of of just 
spending time with it in term to to really get comfortable with how you sound. I, I equate it a little bit of like how the first time you hear your voice recorded and you're yeah. like, do I really sound like that? Um, but now, you know, for me, like now hearing my voice, I'm so used to it that I'm like, yeah, that's how I sound. I like, it yeah. doesn't sound really wonky to me. Um, but do you think of it the same way when you're, in this, when you're in the studio listening to yourself playing, you just got to kind of sit with it for a while? Yes. And I've always been, even uh, as far I can remember, as far back as high school, having some kind of recording device for myself for rehearsals, um, for anything that I was doing, I would not, not everything at first, but like a lot of stuff I would, I would have something, uh, recording so I could listen back. And, you know, it's that thing of, you know, you, you listen back later and it's just like cringeworthy at first, right? When you're listening to everything mm -hmm. you do, you're like, Oh God, I, what did I do? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? But it's like the best way to get better at whatever you're doing, whether it's you're working on something technically speaking, or in this case, like what we're talking about recording, you're working on your sound, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, nothing, it's it just the, the honesty, like you said, of, of hearing yourself like you are when you listen to your own voice. It's like, uh, you know, you get used to it. And then that's when it really starts. That's when you really start to, um, I think, develop all of those things because you, you get past that thing of like hating your playing or listening mm -hmm. and going and going like, Oh, what am I doing? Um, you get past all that. And then that's when you really start to, to see progress. I think, you know, yeah. it's super important, and, I think. And if you're recording it and you're checking in on it three months later, six months later, you have something to compare it to because I think in the moment you're always going to think this is not that good. And, and I, you know, it needs to be better because I think we're, a lot of us are, are very critical. But if you look at something that you recorded six months ago and then you try to record it again now and you're like, wow, this actually sounds a lot better. I'm, I'm really making some progress here. But if you're, not, if you're not seeing the progress along the way, then I think it's easier, it's easier to get frustrated. It's easier to, to get down on yourself and, and be super critical of, of what you're doing. Absolutely, man. You, you, that, you nailed it with that too. It's like, it's like uh, both in terms of just playing my playing itself or uh or the recording skills side of it it's mm -hmm. like i want and i'm looking for ways to improve that along the way uh even in microscopic ways that um make a difference and i obviously hear it but i think the the, the more that you develop all those things i think people around you respond to that stuff they can they can tell a difference. Like even like wh what you just said to sort of expand on that. It's like if I send somebody tracks, say a year ago, and then now I, say I send them something else a year later, and they'll be like, "Hey, what did you what did you change?" Like I remember this actually happened with a client one time where I sent them tracks, and I think it was a couple of years in between. And after that second time, they were like, "What did you change?" And I and I remember thinking to myself, like I had literally changed nothing. Uh, hmm. I hadn't bought a single new microphone. I hadn't changed my drums. I hadn't done anything different. Uh, and it was just a matter of like, I think engineering skills for sure was part of it, but also like, you know, you learn how to play in that setting and adjust your playing. So it sounds better for the microphones. And yeah. I think that's what it was. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I felt like that was that I, I, I those are the kinds of things that you uh, the kind of feedback that you can get that that uh, inc is encouraging when you're 
because this stuff can be super daunting sometimes, right? Like to be an yeah. engineer and a drummer at the same time. It's kind of crazy. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've talked to numerous people about this, that if you, if you want to start recording, then now you not only have to be a drummer, but you also have to be an engineer yes. and you have to learn all of that stuff. And what do you, what do you suggest for people who want to get it? Like even myself, like we were talking, I think we were talking off air about, I'm, I'm not a gear guy. So the idea of, which is interesting because I like, I own a production company, right? So like, (laughs) so we produce things, but like, but I'm not, I'm not a gear guy. And for me to set up a drum room with, with the mics and the gear and all of that is, it's so, it's so intimidating to me that I've never done it because I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know where to start. And not that I'm looking to go and, and do remote tracks. I just don't think that that's the, the path for me. But I would love to have a room where I'm recording and, and all of that stuff. And it's, it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, so where do you suggest that people start if they, if they want to start building that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, like the, 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 I think the number one obstacle, aside from what you just talked about, um, is also the, the financial aspect of it, right? So some people mm-hmm. will, will be like, I don't, I don't know what to buy. I don't even have that much money. Um, so, I mean, I think personally, um, you could start with something as simple as like a decent stereo recorder just to have it in your room and you start to figure out, sort out how your drums sound just with a stereo mic, you know, right. um, on, a, on some kind of digital recorder like the Zoom machines or whatever those things are that, that do that. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's one thing. And I mean, that's what I did for years before I even owned, you know, like a, a proper recording setup and an interface. Then I think the next step would just be to get, uh, you know, I, I always, th- lately what I've been telling people is um, don't buy gear that you can't, uh, that you won't get your money back uh, when you try to resell it, you know. So like don't buy the cheapest possible thing, even though it's difficult because you're looking at the the prices can be pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I might be getting a little too technical with this here, but I would say the, just buy something that you can use a, either a two channel interface or a four channel interface and a basic mic pack, like the Shure, all these Shure mics are fantastic. You know, the beta 52 mm-hmm. and the SM 57, uh, kick and snare mics, uh, they have the, you know, nice condenser mics that aren't that expensive. So if you, you buy like a sure pack. I think there's like a pack of mics that you can get that has all of that in it. I'm pretty sure now. Sure. Yeah, there's like the um, <laughs> sure makes like a seven piece microphone kit that's like 500 bucks or something like that. Well, so now that, okay, so that's, okay, I want to talk about that for a second because years ago when I first started getting into this, um, I had, uh, a, a, there's a great drummer here in LA named Dave Byer. Um, I don't know if you've heard his name at all, but I he have. Played with Melissa Etheridge and and uh, Joan Osborne and a bunch of people, um, and he had a home studio way before I did. And I remember him telling me, "Don't," as I said, "Hey, what about these Shure mic packs? You know, these these ones where they have like kind of like uh, I think it's like like you said seven mics, mm-hmm. but none of them are like their pro line. It's like it's like everything is like a um, I don't know what what they are, but it's like a it's like a budget line basically, right? Right. Um, and he said, don't buy that stuff. And the, and the reason is because you will want to sell it, uh, at some point and the, you won't get what you put into it at all. Not even close. So gotcha. he's like, 
you'd be better off buying fewer mics and a and a you know like like I said the Beta Fifty Two, which you will always want to have around anyway, and an mm -hmm. SM Fifty Seven, which you'll always want to have around anyway. And those aren't even that expensive. Those are like, what are they? Uh, it's like a hundred bucks for the SM Fifty Seven and one hundred and fifty for the Beta Fifty Two. I think. Yeah. Um, and, and like then, an, an so, SM Fifty Seven, you can. I mean, it's like you're gonna keep those forever. Right? They never go out of style. Yeah. Never go out yeah. of style. So he said, buy that kind of stuff. Um, because you'll, you'll want to keep it. And if you ever did want to sell it, you would get a decent amount back for it. Uh, mm -hmm. so he, uh, you know, he advised against those packs, like the, the really budget ones. Yeah. Um, so I, I, t I say that same thing to people. I think it's valid. Mm -hmm. Um, but man, I mean, you know, like obviously the universal audio interfaces are incredible and they're also expensive. But Focusrite makes some stuff now that is not as expensive as that. I'm, there's others that I, I don't know everything about all of the different companies that put this stuff out. But there are two and four channel interfaces and even eight channel interfaces that are relatively inexpensive that can get you started. Um, mm -hmm. And they'll sound great. I mean, like I, I always tell people, um, like my first interface that I bought was an M-Audio interface. And this was like, like I said, 2006 or seven or something. Those were really not great, you know. Um, <laughs> it was kind of all that was available at the time. Yeah, the I had. Sort of, I actually had one of those. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. It, yeah. You know, I mean, look. At the time, it was like, hey, wow, I can suddenly record eight channels of drums. This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but what I, you know, the thing about the interfaces now is that everything about them is way better, and I think they're even cheaper than those ones used to be. It's like the entry point for people now is on such a high level compared to what it was like say 10 or 15 years ago mm -hmm. and that's really that i think that's really cool you know people can get yeah. decent sounds now pretty easily yeah i mean i know? to your point i think that that you know the reality of the situation is that everyone makes great gear now you know yeah. there's i mean sure there's some low-end crappy gear out there but like but by and large, like, I mean, even everything, like drum kits, uh, you know, everything. It's like the manufacturing has come so far and the technology has, has come so far that it's really, it's really hard to, for a company to put out like a truly shitty product, you know? Exactly. Like you're going to be, right? especially if you're just getting started, like you're probably going to be fine with 90% of the stuff that you end up buying unless you buy some like $40 interface or something. Yeah, no, exactly. Or like even think about it compared to like uh, even just in the drum uh, uh, realm, like what, what is considered a beginner drum set now and the quality of that compared to a beginner drum set, say when we were kids or something like that. It's like, it's not even comparable really. Like my first yeah. drum set was this like horrible, I think it was called Westbury. Uh, it's a Canadian company that made drums that were just not great at all, you know. Mm -hmm. Now you can get like a PDP kit or something like that. That's like yeah, cheaper. I was just than gonna say was, I had a you know I had a PDP concept, and it sounded absolutely amazing. They're great. They're fantastic. Sound, it was like what? There was like six hundred bucks or something like that. It's just you amazing, know? you know. Yeah, it's, it's like crazy. it's not even those things are you like you said. It's not. Uh, it's it's just nobody makes anything that's really like crappy anymore. You can get great sounds out of this stuff now. And I yep. think like what you said, the same thing, it applies to the recording gear and the drums and everything else. You can, you can get into this stuff. I think the most important thing for people to understand is that once you have 
a basic set of gear, both drums and the recording gear. It's just about getting in there and learning how to get the sound to come across properly. And you don't need a ton of gear to do that. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you just need hours and hours and hours of doing it and trying to get better and trying to figure out why, why doesn't my snare sound good? Okay. Could it be the dampening? Could it be how I'm tuning it? Could it, do I need to treat my room a little bit? Um, Mm -hmm. is it my mic placement? It's, it's, could be so many things. And that's, I, I mean, I guess it depends on the person. I find that stuff fascinating and super fun. So for me, it's an ongoing thing of like going into my studio every time and trying to get better at it every time I do it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I think if anybody's going to do it, um, they need that at least that much um, desire and passion to do it. Cause it's, it's a, it's a real, like uh, it's a lot of work, you know? So you have to like love the idea of doing that. And, but if you do, it's fantastic, you know? Yeah. And to your point, I think a lot of times we think that we need to go get a new piece of gear or so. it's like, if I had this, then I would record more. If I go and buy this thing and it's like, if you're not, if you're not creating with the things that you have already, this new microphone is not going to want to make you go in there and spend the time to try to figure all this stuff out. So just start with what you have or get a couple things and go in and, and figure it out. That's exactly it. You said it perfectly. And I think that, I think it's an, it can become, or it's, I mean, I, I, I see it, you know, it's like a bit of an arms race with, with drummers, like buying, yeah. buying new mics and buying new preamps. And I mean, we all have done it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, not necessarily to compete with each other. It's just like you see other guys who are doing the same stuff as you. And, and we're all sort of, you know, we're all, uh, I mean, it's, it, I, I don't want to say this in a way that makes it sound like we're, nobody's trying to cut anybody else down, but we're all in the same pool looking for the same work and all that kind of stuff. So drummers sometimes see what other drummers are doing and then it's like, oh, do I need that too? And it's like, <laughs> right. you know, and I always ask myself that, you know, and then I'm, but then I, I often come back to what you're saying, which is like, no, I need to, I need to stick with what I have and right. keep working on, on making that better, you know, as much mm-hmm. as I can. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What are some of the big mistakes that you see with people with recording, whether it be, whether it's getting their, their studio set up and everything, or just with their approach to how they're, how they're recording and sending out tracks? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I don't know if I would say that this is a mistake that other people are making, but I will say what the kinds of stuff that I figured out, uh, from my own mistakes uh, so mm-hmm. I can definitely speak to that is like, um, I try to send my stuff, uh, or I, I, I did, uh, early on and needed to do more of it early on probably than I did is like record something and then send it to people who are actual engineers, um, who mm-hmm. could tell me, listen to it and go like, yeah, okay, this is out of phase. Uh, you know, this, you're, you're just what you're doing with the bass drum, you know, try placing the mic differently. It doesn't sound right. You know, a myriad of things that they could, could tell me, which they did, uh, or like having somebody come over, like a proper engineer come over and be in my room with my gear and try to help me dial stuff in. I think a, I think a, a mistake that I, something that I could have done more of is, is that early on just to get, you know, learn proper things from proper Mm -hmm. engineers because it, 
we're expected, like you said earlier, we're expected to be engineers now, and that's a, a life. That's a skill that people dedicate their lives to. Yeah. And suddenly, yep. drummers are tasked with that, and turns out drums are like you know, basically the hardest thing to properly engineer, right? <laughs> right. So, um, right, you're not just like throwing on a DI box and just like, <laughs> exactly, just, you know, plugging it and be like, yep, it's, okay, we're, you know, you don't have to deal with microphone placement and all this other stuff with a guitar. Not that guitar players or bass players or anything have it easier, but maybe they do a little bit because drums I are think, really yeah, hard. No, I think you're right. I think that's right. I mean, you know, like humbly speaking, yes, we have it harder than probably anybody else that way. Um, and so I think that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that other people are making the same mistake I did with that, but I do think that, um, you know, learning stuff off YouTube is great, um, but nothing is a substitute ever in any realm, drum wise or recording wise or whatever. Uh, nothing is a substitute uh, for actually being in a room with somebody else who is an expert on what it is that you're trying to do and having them school you, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. that, that's been my whole, my whole life, my whole career is based on, you know, wanting to absorb knowledge from people in, whenever I want to be better at something. So um, yeah. I think that's super important. If you're looking for more options and flexibility when you're setting up your kit, check out the Gibraltar Chrome Series 3-sided curved drum rack. Everybody knows Gibraltar is the industry standard when it comes to drum racks. This thing is an extremely flexible and sturdy four-post rack for your entire drum kit. There's 10 inches of curved horizontal mounting space, provides plenty of room for your drum, cymbals, and percussion instruments, and then a set of clamps with memory locks folding down and setting up your kit is super simple with this rack. And the best thing is you can get it at my favorite place to buy gear, which is Sweetwater.com. Sweetwater has been helping me out for over 20 years and they have fast free shipping. They have a two-year warranty on everything that they sell. They have US-based tech support and they have these expert sales engineers that can answer any of your questions that you may have. So do yourself a favor, check out Sweetwater.com and grab that Gibraltar three-sided curve drum rack today. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator stock up on your favorite evans and promark products this holiday season with 20 percent off plus free shipping using the promo code resource 20 evans drum heads are the most technologically advanced drum heads on earth with revolutionary products such as emad hydraulic and the uv series these evans drum heads are designed to solve sonic problems for drummers 
And don't forget about Promark drumsticks, and it's more than just a pair of sticks. It's an opportunity for all drummers to break barriers of convention and make their mark. Every Promark drumstick has been perfected with ProMatch, Promark's multi-phase weight and pitch sorting process. This ensures unrivaled consistency, not only from stick to stick, but also from pair to pair. And there are two unique performance pillars with Promark. You have Promark, home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines alongside cutting-edge innovations like Active Grip and Fire Grain. Then you have Promark Classic, which is a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. And the home of the front-weighted, power-focused forward and attack line, including Promark's iconic Shirakashi Oak. So head over to Diodario.com and use promo code RESOURCE20 at checkout. That's Diodario.com, promo code RESOURCE20. Limited one-time use per customer and it expires on December 31st. I think that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate life hack is getting comfortable with with feedback from people and seeking it out and not obviously not people who are, who are going to cut you down and, and, you know, criticize you, but you need constructive criticism. And, and I think that the moment you turn that corner and are open to that and, and, and seek that out, I think your entire life changes. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I I've been, I mean, I studied, you know, I, I, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I studied with um, Joe Morello, uh, for mm-hmm. a, a few years, uh, and, and Jim Chapin, right? And Jim Chapin. Yeah. Both yeah. of them. And those two guys were, were obviously, I mean, they're, they were exceptional teachers. Um, but I also learned a lot about the entire process of teaching and learning from both of them because they were both such great teachers, but also great people. And they had a way of like, letting you know what was going on and really having it hit, but not, they weren't ever, you know, mean spirited about it or, um, they always did it in a way that, that, you know, they, they, they kicked your butt, but they didn't like, uh, destroy you kind of thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't. Um, so I just kind of like from, from even from before then, but especially after I was, hanging around with those guys, it's like, okay, there's always going to be somebody out there that knows more about whatever it is that I'm trying to learn. And I want to always seek those people out as much as possible. And that's just mm-hmm. kind of how I run my life. And um, not that I don't think for myself, I think plenty for myself, but I, I just like the idea of like, um, I just, I, you know, I like, this is a bit of a diversion, but like, whenever I listen to interviews, um, on say your podcast or uh, like John DeChristopher's podcast where he's interviewing, you guys both interview legends, you know, guys who, who I have looked up to forever. And every time I hear a podcast with one of those people, I'm always thinking, man, I wish I could just call that person up and ask them a bunch of questions because, you know, it could be a recording question or it could be a question about their experiences when they were touring or whatever it is. Um, I just always want to know, where someone's coming from and what they, you know, what makes them do what they do. And, uh, I, I just, just my nature. I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm a, a perpetual student, you know? Yeah. I'm, so. I'm the same way. And, 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 you know, it's out there. Why, why not ask, you know, exactly. why? And, and the, and the other thing is it doesn't, I think the mistake that people make uh, is that, they think that whatever knowledge they get from someone 
that it has to be all or nothing. And it's like, well, that that works for them, but that's not going to work for me. And it's like, yeah, but you can take a piece of what they told you and use that for your own thing. You can take a piece from here and you can take a piece from here and then you can create your own thing. It's just, it's the same as look, we're all, we're all copycats of the people who we listen to, you know, the drummers that we listen to. So like you're stealing that information and using it for your own. So you don't have to do everything that the Ringo did or everything that Vinnie Calyuta does, but like, you know, you're going to use pieces of it. So why can't you just do that with knowledge as well? I don't totally, know. I'm man. on a soapbox now, but no, no, no. That's that's great. I you made me think of. Um, did you ever watch that? There's a um, Tony Williams clinic that he did. Um, I think it's Boston and Zildjian Day or something like that. It's like 80s. Mm. Um, and uh, somebody asks him, uh, uh, "How did you? Yeah, the question is something to the effect of, how did you get your own voice? You know, mm-hmm. uh, like you, you know, you obviously." You listen to Max and you listen to, uh, you know, um, who else? Art Blakey, Philly Joe, all those guys. You listen to those guys and then how did you arrive at your own thing? And he said, and this is in the 80s, so like he's well into his career already. He's like, well, I don't really think I have my own voice. He's like, I still think about those guys when I play. And it's kind of, you're kind of shocked because like that, Tony Williams of all people is like the guy who everybody looks at and goes like, that is such a unique possibly the most unique voice in the history of drums or at least in the, the conversation. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, but then he went on to explain, he's like, I'm thinking about art when I play, I'm thinking about Max when I play, I'm thinking about Philly Joe, Roy Haynes, all these guys. Um, and he's like, I guess it comes out sounding something like me cause it comes through my filter, but he's like, that's, that's what's going on for me when I play. And uh, yeah. I just thought it was, uh, uh, you know, a really interesting perspective and uh it sounds like he was a perpetual student too i i remember hearing like him you know wanting to learn about double bass and i think he was like getting into double bass at the end of his right before he passed away he was like you know oh, wow. gonna get a double bass kit and stuff like that and start learning how to do that and i mean he just like always wanted to learn stuff so yeah yeah i find that inspiring it's you know it's super interesting, man. And, and like, or like he said, and uh, as you just mentioned that it doesn't matter, even, even if you're playing the exact same thing that the person played, it's still going to sound different. It's going to still be like you. through your filter. Yeah. It's still going to sound yeah. like you. I look at, you know, you see you guys that are like, they're breaking down like a Steve Jordan groove or something like that. And then they play it. I'm like, it doesn't sound, but it doesn't sound like Steve Jordan. You're no. playing the same exact notes. You're playing everything exactly where you have the drums tuned the right way. Still doesn't sound like Steve Jordan. Because who could sound you like know? Steve Jordan, right? Like it's like right. It's just yeah. But you let but you you take it as a as a uh, a point to jump from. You know, like here's where I'm going to yeah. start. I'm going to imitate this thing, sort of absorb it, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this I had this mentor of mine, like more like a life mentor, not a drum mentor. Uh, who said to me years ago, like the concept that, uh, that she uh, laid on me was this thing of like, learn the people who you, you think um, are, are the people who you would like to model yourself, yourself after, learn their thing so in depth that you can actually uh, transcend that and go beyond it. Uh, and get come out the other side where you've truly filtered it through your system, I guess. 
instead mm-hmm. of like, you know, th- I think a really common pitfall for any of us is like learning a lick that somebody played and then letting that be like, okay, like learning a Steve Gad lick and then going like, okay, this is, this is how I, uh, how I see Steve Gad. And then you haven't really absorbed anything. You've just kind of learned this one little thing and it kind of comes off sounding like, uh, like the, the poor person's version of Steve Gadd or something like that. Whereas <laughs> right, if right. you, if you really learn what he, you know, listen to a lot of music that he played on, learn a bunch of different things that he did and really absorb that, then it comes across in your playing where you, maybe you would be listening to me and go like, you know, Oh yeah, Matt, I heard like something that sounded a little bit like Gad, but I think it still comes across as like my personality and it's filtered through me and it becomes something that's like part of me in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. I, I believe really strongly in that. Like I've tried to try to, like, if I'm really interested in somebody, I really go deep because yeah. then it can come out, I can come out the other side instead of a surface learning of what somebody does, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was going to so, ask you about that. Like, how do you, how do you go, how do you go deep and start learning this stuff? Because, you know, the stuff that you do, um, on Instagram where you'll, you know, you'll break down a tune. Like I was just watching, uh, um, don't let me down. And like, oh yeah, it sounds, it sounds exactly like Ringo. Oh, wow. So, thank you. thank you. So I know that you're, you're going deep on this and figuring it out, but where does that, where does that journey start? And then, because it's interesting to me, like, a couple there's a couple of people who i know like you my buddy dylan Wissing's really good at this too where it's like okay i'm gonna listen to this song and i'm gonna build that kit so i know exactly what snare i'm gonna use the symbols all that kind of stuff so i think that's one element of it and then the other side of it is like just going down the rabbit hole of their playing to to playing. sound yeah. like them as well yeah and and that's that's great uh absolutely perfect the way you just set that up because it's like you have to find one has to find the the intersection of the way that the person played the way they treated the instrument uh but then there's the engineering part of it too so like trying to find out as much information about how it was miked uh and not necessarily specific microphones but just sort of like was there two mics on the drums or was there Mm -hmm. eight mics on the drums where were they you know uh, and so when I do those deep dives, um, on the sounds, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to like, uh, put myself as much in that person's, uh, shoes as I can, uh, because it's like, uh, I'm trying to experience the feeling of what, what it must've been like to play that stuff. You know, everything from like the volume to, um, you know, the balance of the kit, like, like Ringo played, his hi-hat playing was so unique, right? Because it's like, it was uh, super like kind of thick and, and it has this real presence to it that not a lot of people necessarily have. Like if you're playing on the tip of the hats all the time, uh, it's not going to sound like that. Like he kind of lays into the hats a little more, like say on that song, for example, right? On Don't Let mm-hmm. Me Down. But anyway, I'm I'm getting off on a bit of a diversion. It's like, I'm, I'm just trying to absorb... Um, what that person did and put myself in their shoes because if I experienced that, the, the greatness of what they did uh, for myself, then hopefully some of that rubs off on me. That's my, that's my thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, you know, I've done it with like a couple of other people. Like I did, I did uh, a deep dive on Rosanna and I did it and, and, and it was more about 
pursuing the sound of Rosanna because I it, a lot of people have figured out how to play that groove. Uh, so there's plenty right. of information on that. But I was trying to figure out like how did he get that sound? You know, like what what mm -hmm. elements went into that? Um, and I've just learned so much from all of those things that I've done. And and what I found is that like I don't ever say. Uh, sit down to do a, an original song for somebody and think like, oh, okay, I'm going to try to sound like Jeff did on Rosanna for this or something like that. It's more like having that knowledge uh, allows me to sort of pick little pieces of that. Like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. that snare sound on Rosanna is kind of cool, but maybe I can do use something similar to that, but without all the reverb and, you know, for this particular song. And, right, you know, it's that kind of stuff. It's like little elements from all of those come into play when I'm doing original songs for somebody. I would never want to imitate somebody verbatim like that. Cause that's just, that goes against everything that I uh, like to think that I stand for. So, um, right. But I know. have to imagine that that clients come to you too and say, Hey, we want like a, you know, we want like a seventies Motown vibe. So you're right. not going to go you're like, you're not like, okay, I'm going to play exactly like Gadsden, but right. I'm going to try to mimic, the sounds that they were getting in the studio at that time and then just play my my version of Motown. Exactly. Yeah. And just to have a reference point, um, both playing wise, like, you, like, again, it's that same thing. It's like, I need to know what Gadsden was doing, you know, how, how, what kinds of things he was using drum wise, you know, how he was tuning, dampening, so on. Then I also, where need do to you know, find, like, where do you find that information or do you just, is oh, it, that's a great is question it, too. It, or is it trial I, and error for you? It's, it's a bit of that. I think also like, uh, you know, whenever possible, asking somebody who was there or the person themselves, I guess, if, if, if at all possible. Um, right. But I'll, I'll call up engineer friends of mine and say, hey, do you know, like I remember with Rosanna, um, for example, because I really was interested in getting that sound. And I engineer, or I, sorry, I emailed a, an engineer friend of mine um, who uh, spent quite a bit of time with Al Schmidt, who was the engineer for that session. And I said, what was Al doing back then? Like, what what was he using? You know, um, and then I asked him stuff like, what does it sound like to you? Like, does it sound like uh, a big room wide open? Or does it sound like they, they put gobos around him or whatever? And we just kind of got into stuff like that. And uh, so again, like tapping into people who I know who are super knowledgeable about this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I like to, I, I'll call, if I can, I'll call somebody directly and say, hey, what did you use on that song? You know, like what, what, <laughs> what, uh, what snare drum were you using? And it's funny, uh, you know, um, I guess I can say this because nobody knows where this storage is, but I, my studio is in a storage building in North Hollywood. Um, mm -hmm. And in that, where my stuff is stored and where my studio is, is also some of James Gadsden's gear. And I know his, his, uh, his tech or the guy that, sets up for him for mm -hmm. recording stuff. And so he has a, a case of snares and I've, I've looked through there a couple of times and it's like, you know, I see, I can see what he's doing and it's actually like simple stuff that we all do. And the drums are not fancy at all. Like it's, it's right. like some of them are not great even like some of them are kind of crappy or beat up drums and the heads are super old and they're all kind of like, you know, dampened in different ways and stuff like that. But man, when he hits certain drums with his touch and his intention, it's just like, it's kind of a, an amazing thing realizing like, okay, I can see what he was doing. And I understand that a little bit more. But the other lesson in that was like, this guy's been using the same, you know, group of say six or eight snares forever. 
And mm-hmm. so, so some of the same stuff that was on like the Bill Withers records is also on the Beck records. And it's just, he just keeps doing the same thing. And he's so, he has such a personality that it's like back to, circling back to what we said before, it's like, you don't need 50 snare drums, right? Right. Like James Katzen only needs six. So why do I need 30? <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> if uh, he needs six, I probably need, you know, you know, three. <laughs> three. Yeah. Like, like, right. yeah, no. And, and I think, I think that's such an important thing. Like gear is so tempting to, it's so tempting to like buy your way out of a problem, you know, like whether right. it's your drumming, you, you're wanting to work on something with your drumming or something to do with your engineering. Like you said, like, Oh, I'll just go buy that mic. That'll solve all my problems. But it's just hardly ever the case that a piece of gear fixes an issue. Right. It's yeah. like, you got to fix your own issues, you know? Well, I mean, I think that I think that uh, a lot of us, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but a lot of us don't want to do the work, so we figure out how to get around it. Yeah, right. You right. know, it's like, oh, I'll just buy, I'll just buy a new piece of gear, and that that'll then I don't have to, I don't, I can go around it, I don't have to go through it, and it's like it's not going to solve your problem. You still gotta, you still gotta it figure won't. this out. It won't. Yeah. You know? The only thing that ever solved any of these things is just shedding. You know, like, and, 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 and I mean that in a broad, the broadest possible sense. Cause for me now practicing a lot of times is just going over to my spot and, and setting up for something and trying, like if I'm not doing a track for somebody, that's when I get into those, the, the deep dives. Cause I want to learn, I want to practice my engineering by learning what somebody else did. Uh, and, and that's a, that's a shed session for me now. It's, it's crazy. Like it used to be, well, I'm going to sit there and work on my chops or something like that. And, uh, I love that too. And I did a lot of that. Uh, but now for me, it's, it's so much more about, you know, sound and production of sound and, uh, whatever, you know, making music sound good. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I want to be a part of. So that's what I'm practicing, you know? Yep. Yep. Do you spend, what percentage of your time do you spend recording versus out on the road? Oh, it's yeah. Good question. Let's take, let's take, let's take COVID COVID, out of the, yeah. Yeah. Let's take COVID (laughs) out of the equation. Um, I would say I, I, I'd like to think that it's pretty balanced and I, I personally, um, uh, want it to be that way. Like I don't ever want to be, um, doing only one of those things because I love both of them so much and I feel like they both feed each other so much that, um, each one of them helps with the other. And, uh, and, and, and besides which I just love to be a part of both because they're both exciting to me in different ways. So I would, I think, you know, cause I know some guys and I, I think it, maybe it's more of a thing of the past anyway, because of the way that the business is now, but there have been guys who were like, no, I'm staying at home. I'm going to just, all I'm going to do is record. And that's, that's what I want to do. And there are right. other guys, I guess, on the opposite side who say, all I want to do is be out on the road. I, I just, I love being in front of people all the time. For me, I just enjoy each of them so much that I could never give up either of them, I don't think. Well, so, and that was, like, that was a big LA thing too, where it was like, you're either a road guy or you're a studio guy. And right. I mean, I was always under the impression years ago that like, you can't do both. Right, right. Isn't that weird? And yeah. it's like, but if you see, like, I don't know if you've watched any of the, uh, the interviews with Lee, Lee Sklar, um, legendary no. bass player. Yeah. Lee yeah. Sklar. Of course. Um, um, it, but he just like, 
he says the same thing. Like he's like, yeah, you know, I always did a lot of sessions, but I I never wanted to give up playing live, which is why he still toured with James Taylor and Phil Collins, and he's still, uh, yeah, I guess he's more recently still been touring with 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 Phil solo. Maybe I'm not sure, but. He just doesn't want to give that stuff up because that's, I think that feeds him in a certain way. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with that. That's how I feel about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, you know, everyone would say, well, no one's going to either, they're not going to think to call you because they're going to think that, that you're on the road or something like that. But to your point now, the industry has changed so much where I think everyone's doing everything that they can. I mean, you even look at like, you know, Steely Dan notoriously never toured and yeah. now they're on the road all the time because yeah. they need to make money. People used to tour to sell the record. Now they make a record so that they can sell a tour. You know? I know. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It's completely flipped so around. It's, it's completely flipped around. It's crazy. But it's uh, just for like, better or for I, worse. But. For better or for worse. Absolutely. And I just was, I guess I was also reminded like, you know, the first time I played in front of like a, a decent amount of people was in the summertime, which is the first uh, gig, gig or gigs that I did with with Buffy St. Marie. And it was like, um, I just, I remember it was the second gig more than the first because it was in Brooklyn and it was a part of this festival. And I just remember us walking out onto the stage and, and you know, they, 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 she's very kind of like, they love her in New York and in that area because she kind of, her career sort of started there. And mm-hmm. just the, the, the energy coming back at us from the minute we walked out on stage, obviously geared towards, directed towards her, but coming at all of us was just so inspiring. And I, I just can't imagine not doing that. And, and, and it really hit me because we had been, nobody did anything for like two years or a year and a half or whatever. And that was my first time back in front of like a, a, an audience. And I was like, wow, this is just, this feels like I can't even put it into words you know i'm so so happy to be back doing this you know that's how i Mm -hmm. felt about it i was like i can't it's just uh, it was so hard not to do that for that long you know yeah (laughs) i mean on both sides whether we playing or just going to see some live music like i've said it on the podcast already on people i'm sure people are like oh here we go again but i was like during covid i would have paid a lot of money to go see a really shitty band yeah you know like yeah. I, I was any any sort of live music. I don't care what it was. It could be yeah. the worst band in the world. I was like, I would I would go see karaoke right now. You know, dude, couldn't agree more. Yeah, just put me in which, a room with other people expressing themselves, and I will be happy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yep. And and I think that it, the hard part about about code for for a couple of things was like it wasn't a gradual sort of movement into this where it was like oh we think things are going to slow down or so. it was just like tours are canceled done no live music can't go outside you know can't do anything and i think that there was a lot of just pent up you know uh uh want and need for for live music and and wanting to be around people and everything because it just it was like someone turned the lights off yeah man absolutely it's a i had a a, um a mentor uh you know, years ago when I first came to town, this guy named Mike Shapiro, who I'm partly mentioning just because uh, sadly we lost him very recently um, and kind of unexpectedly. Um, so rest in peace to Mike. Um, but he, he used to just say his, he used to just say over and over again, there's no substitute for live music. And he did, he did a good mix of both 
both things. He loved both. But it's just, I think it is that, um, that human interaction that happens mm -hmm. in, with an audience and one single musician or a band of musicians that just is, there's nothing like it. And uh, it's, it inspires you in, in ways that uh, being in a studio could never in, inspire you. And, there, and of course, there's things about recording that the process of that that can inspire you to do things that you would never do, say, in the opposite direction. So, uh, but yeah, no substitute for playing live. I could never yeah. give that up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just it's, the greatest. I, there's no, there's no other feeling like it, for sure. None. No other feeling. And I know there's a lot of people that I've come across who have, that are afraid to play live or have this weird... Um, I don't want to say weird, but have, you know, some sort of stage fright. And I always tell them, look, 95% of the people in the, 99% of the people in the audience, A, can't do what you, you're doing up there and B, wish they were up there doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. So think about that and, thing, about that while you're up there. <laughs> oh man, absolutely. And, and as a person who I definitely struggled with, with, with that stuff for, for a long time, just, you know, being nervous and, and before mm -hmm. I played and, and even while I was playing and, you know, the more you, the more you get into the space where you're, where you're coming from the heart and less from, you know, the brain. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's like, there are people out there who have no idea. They're just so happy that they're watching you play, you know, and they don't know what you're doing, what you think you're doing wrong or something like that. Right. Cause we right. all like, Oh yeah. I, I missed that hi-hat pad. I was supposed to play 16ths on the bridge, but I only played eights. Oops, I screwed that up. They have no idea, right? They just don't. <laughs> right. They don't care. Uh, yep. They just care what it feels like. And, and, and that's all about the heart. And I, I don't think that, um, you know, I think stage fright usually comes from, from thinking too much. And it did for me, that's for sure, you know? Yeah. So yep. the more I could drop into my body and just, you know, connect with the people I was playing with and connect with the audience the easier that got. So mm -hmm. how do you, how did you overcome that? Is it just a matter of trying to stay more present while you're playing? Yeah. And I think, and I mean, I think there's no substitute for time, obviously, like, you know, doing it over and over and over again uh, is a big one, which mm -hmm. is why I, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure this comes up a lot on your podcast. Um, but it's like people should uh, need to take advantage of every opportunity to play uh, that they can, because it's, it's about hours of experience and learning and getting comfortable. And, and for me, a big part of that was like my hours, especially earlier on were dedicated towards overcoming my, my fears. Like I, I could play, I had developed my technique and I had worked on so many things and I, I, I had figured out a lot of stuff, but I would get scared on stage and, and yeah, just like, doing it a bunch of times, but that allowed me to like try things like, okay, what can I do to get past that quicker? And right. the more I did it, the more I figured out things. And yeah, it, especially stuff like connecting with the other musicians I was on stage with was a big one, you know, like who am I, who am I, who am I on stage with that, you know, is a, is a friend of mine that I can kind of like, just, 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 zone in on them while I'm playing, you know, right. that'll, that'll get me through the first song. And it worked, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, here's my, my friend, this bass player is a, a really great friend of mine. I'm just gonna, just gonna really focus on, on grooving with that guy or that girl. And, and it would just, it would just put me, make me more present immediately. 
Mm-hmm. Um, instead of thinking about some drum thing, you know, some drumistic right. thing like my bass drum pedal or my left hand or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. just had to get over all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. You and know? being present and isn't, being present. <laughs> isn't, Oh, what, what am I doing with my hands? What am I doing with my feet? What am I doing with my arms? What am I, who am I looking at? Am I playing the right, you know, not that, yeah, not, uh, no. not hyper. You don't want to be hyper-focused. You just want to be, you just want to be present yeah. in the moment. <laughs> exactly. Because like, like I, you know, you, you can be in passing aware of, I think anyway, you can be aware of certain technical things in passing. Like, okay, uh, my left hand feels a little tight. I got to just breathe and relax that a little bit. And that's like a momentary thing. And mm-hmm. that gets you through that moment. That's different than like watching your left hand the whole time or something like that, where it's like, right. oh, better not tighten up, you know, because then you're overthinking it and it's going to, it's going to blow up in your face. You know, you're going to just start tightening up. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, so it's um, like the, uh, yeah. they tell, they tell NASCAR drivers, I don't know anything about NASCAR, but I know that they tell them not to look at the wall because if they look at the wall, they will hit the wall. That makes It's like sense. a, it's like a, some weird, like proven thing where they're like, and even if you go wow. and like drive on the track just as just for fun, they're like, do not look at the wall or you will drive right into it. That's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty weird. What would be the drum equivalent of that? Like, I'm trying to think like, don't drop a stick or so. I don't know. Yeah. Like, or, or don't look. If you start look, thinking yeah. about dropping a stick, you'll drop a stick probably, right? Like, yeah. And if you're yeah. definitely focused, if you're focused on like your technique and making sure that all these things are like, it's going to sound like crap for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, so, yeah. I, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think like if you're thinking about technique while you're playing, you're probably toast anyway. It's like that. Yeah. You basically want to just, I mean, Morello said that to me years ago, like work on all of this stuff. And then when you get on stage, just do not think about it, you know, because yeah. your practice will take you to a certain point and wherever you're at is where you're at. While you're on stage, thinking about that is not, it's not going to improve in that moment. Like mm-hmm. you have to just let it go. Um, and for me now, it's like, uh, the, I try, uh, the, you know, I think it was a John Riley concept, actually, like the idea of listening to the whole band and yourself in context of the whole band, as opposed to like listening to the drums, mm-hmm. but like trying to listen to it, like, as if you're out there in the audience listening to it, like you're a set of ears that's just listening to this whole thing. Oh, Hey, the snare drum sounds a little loud. Let's bring that down a little bit. Or, you know, whatever you're hearing, you can make adjustments based on context you know yeah yeah um that's just huge right mm-hmm. um that's, and good that, that's another thing that helped me get through it you know the say it's all related to the other stuff too like to the to the stage fright or to anything else it's like yep i'm i'm focused on say it's uh um somebody who especially if it's like a singer and they're playing an instrument piano guitar whatever hearing them really clearly in in your ears or wedge or whatever and just just hearing yourself in relation to that person uh, is like, that's the name of the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree, man. I agree. Yeah. So what, um, so what projects are you, are you currently working on? I know besides uh, being on the road, uh, some other stuff that you, you can talk about or no? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, so I'm in, I've got a couple of original projects that are sort of, in the process of, uh, you know, we're working on a cover. I'm working on a couple of different records with, with things that are kind of bands I'm in, so to speak. So like, um, there's a, a, a buddy of mine, a guitar player in LA named Joshua Ray Gooch, who's like a really great, um, blues all around guitar player. He actually plays for Shania Twain, 
Um, oh, nice. And we're we're working on you know some of his original music. Um, so we've been doing that like at my place, and and you know kind of I'm I'm sort of involved in that on a on a kind of a deeper level than just drums. Like I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm at all the sessions with with whoever's recording, and just kind of I'm a part of that one. Um, and then I'm, uh, there's a band that I'm a part of called Sabine and the Red Lotus. Some of that stuff is already on Spotify, but we're working on a bunch of music right now, kind of just, you know, and that's again, like, you know, a, a project where it's original music and I'm, I'm sort of given carte blanche to go to my studio and do my thing and, um, create something that, uh, like they'll send me demos and then I'll just, they're kind of, I'm kind of, um, establishing the vibe for the song so like whatever i decide to do is kind of where they build their stuff on afterwards nice so that's really fun for me because they you know it's not like they don't they do have input they do sometimes suggest things to me but it's more like do what you do and then whatever you create is what we're gonna um, base our stuff off of um so that kind of stuff is super fun and i'm that freedom is so it's so good. It's great, man. It's great. And it just gives me a chance to try things that um, maybe I don't get to do. Uh, say if I'm recording for a client where it's like they ask me for something super specific and it needs to be done in a certain amount of time and I, and I have to get it done relatively quickly, I might not have as much of a chance to experiment as a situation like this where it's like a band that I'm actually in. I can just yeah. sort of take my time and try things and scrap it and come back and try again or whatever. Like all of those things are possibilities because I'm not under the gun. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I, so, and then other than that, it's, I've, I've just working for different clients. Like some of them are repeat clients. Some of them are new. Uh, it's everything from like, you know, single songs for somebody to um, like, I have a couple of friends of mine who do um, work for film and television. And so they'll send me stuff, little cues to play on and, Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's all over the map um, and super fun because it's kind of like changing all the time and I never know what I'm going to be doing. So uh, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to keep a balance of that and being on the road. And so far I haven't really been doing as many gigs in town since COVID ended just because I guess, I don't know, maybe there just aren't as many of those or I'm not being asked to do them so far, but um I guess it's probably like, it seems like people are still a little bit like shy of club gigs and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm yeah. It's a little, sure. I mean, especially, especially here in LA, you know, like everything's yeah. kind of just like, I look at everywhere else in the world and I'm like, or maybe everywhere else in the country and how we are in LA versus how the rest of the world, like, you know, I talked to my brother and he's like, Oh yeah, we're like out at the bar and hanging out, no mass and everything. And I'm like, that's not how it is here. So no, definitely not. And funny enough, even, uh, you know, like I was just in Toronto and which is my hometown, but, uh, you know, like I went for, I went out to one live gig with a friend of mine and they had, you know, big, uh, plastic plexiglass sheets in front of the band. And it's just really weird. You know, it's like, yeah, that, I get the safety weird. aspect, but it was, it was, it was odd. It's like, you know, I don't know how much good that's even doing. Um, but you know, it's, it's just, it's still, I think everybody's just trying to figure out how to how to start up again without, you know, endangering people, which I totally understand. Yeah. So no, I, I I'm, get not, it. I'm not judging anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I know? agree. I agree. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. where's the best place uh, for people to keep an eye on what you're doing? Should they just go to the real Is that the best place? Yeah. The real Matstar.com or um, at the real Matstar on Instagram. Cause I don't have Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore. My Twitter account is basically non-existent. Um, so yeah, those two places are the two best 
things to look for. Cool. Um, yeah, I pretty much, especially Instagram, like I'm, I'm kind of always um, kind of posting about whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. that's and the, the stuff that you put up thing. is, I love the stuff that you put up and you'll, you, because you break down, you're, it's not just a video of you playing. You're like, okay, this is the, I'm trying to, like we had mentioned, uh, don't let me down earlier. So you're like, okay, yeah. I'm playing, don't let me down, but like, let me break down what's happening here too. And you, you explain it and everything. So I think it's really cool. It's not just like a, Hey, look at me. I'm playing drums. It's, it's more of a, it's more of a educational. Oh, thank you. So yeah. I, like I that's, I like that's definitely what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to like, um, just sort of, uh, what's the right way of putting it? Like just sort of uh, open up a little bit of what I'm doing so that people have some understanding of like what went into getting a certain sound, whether it's someone else's thing or whether it's like an original song. And I figured out some, you know, combination of programming and percussion and drums and like, okay, what's, what's programming? What's the real drums? What's percussion? Mm-hmm. And I'll try to shed some light on that. Cause I think that that, that kind of stuff can be, helpful and hopefully in some way inspiring. Um, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, when I post on there, cause I, yeah. like you said, it's, it's like, it's, uh, Instagram can be, it's, it, there are a number of things that are, are, uh, can work on Instagram, but I feel like if you can help people a little bit in some way, I think that's a really great way to, um, to go about it. Cause it feels like it has a bit more of a purpose when you post something rather mm-hmm. than just like, Hey, dig me, you know? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Like, and okay. you do a great job at it. And like, I like how keep using this example, but how you were just like, okay, here's what it sounded like before. Right. Here's all the plugins that I'm using. Here's all the Abbey Road stuff that I'm using. Okay. Let's bring that in. Let's bring it. And you're like, and then that's how you have the sound. And it's like, Oh, here it is. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. No, I, I, because for me, I guess I do, I probably do stuff that, um, me from the past would like to have seen somebody else do so I could figure right. out what was going on. That's kind of what I, what I think of. Totally um, makes sense. So, I think yeah. you're doing a great job at it too, for sure. Thank you very much. That's really nice. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Matt, I uh, appreciate you getting up early on a Sunday morning to, to come and chat with me. I really do. Oh man. Uh, My pleasure. It was great talking for sure. Great talking with you too, man. That's uh I love your podcast, and so it's uh, it's actually uh, a great honor to be on it. And thank you for well, having thank me. You. Thanks, yeah. of course. Anytime, man. We'll have to have you back for sure. Sounds great. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Have a good yeah. day. You too. There you have it. The a one and only, or should I say the real Matt Starr. You can check him out at therealmattstarr.com. And if you dig the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating or a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about a minute. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.